Please open your Bibles to John chapter 1. Sue and I have one more class of Spanish tomorrow night. I think there's going to be some kind of a final test, but I don't know because the teacher always speaks in Spanish. (laughs) Oh, um, we're not taking it for credit, so we're thankful for that. Neither is anybody else. It's one of those adult education classes, which is kind of an oxymoron. When the teacher talks to us in Spanish, I have to, I have to watch. Because one of the things, one of the ways she's teaching us is she will, you know, make gestures and, and to kind of show us the definitions of words. And, and, uh, and it's a fair number of the words, as she rolls the class along from item to item, week to week, are the same words. And so you kind of get the, the flow of how it's going. And unfortunately, sometimes you know what she's talking about, but you really don't know what the words mean. You kind of get the idea. Those of you who are English as a second language folks, uh, I have great admiration for you. Our, our Russian friends in the back row, uh, I have nothing but admiration for you. So she says the words in Spanish, and I'm like this. I am just, I am glued. I am watching her, and I'm listening and I'm, you know, and last week I was doing that, and she saw me, and so she stopped and repeated everything in English. <laughs> and that was one of the times when I understood what she was saying. But I, I got to work at it, boy. My brain, it's, it's Monday, it's my day off, and I go out of that hour and a half class, and I'm just, I'm just tired. My brain is tired. Oh. I'm getting that same kind of contorted feeling about Christmas gift giving (laughs) because my wife has been taking money out of our checking account for several months. She has to get cash out so I don't know where it's going. And to buy me some, some fairly expensive present and I don't have a clue about what to get for her. I'm in trouble. I'm in big time trouble. I am. Yeah, the other thought that crossed my mind was maybe she's going to the casino or something. (laughs) Do you know what Jesus wants from you at Christmas time? It is his birthday, you know. Do you know what he wants from you? I believe we're going to see that in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Kind of a long section of scripture, but it's a story, if you will. It's a narrative of some events. And so we're going to cover kind of a big piece as we try to understand what does Jesus want from you at this Christmas? He wants discipleship. John 1.35. Again, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, not the author of the epistle or the gospel here. The next day, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two, 
who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, or the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. As we think about discipleship and giving Christ the gift that he wants, the first thing we need to understand is how does discipleship develop? Where does it come from? As we think about that, we want to first of all understand the identity of these first two disciples. It's, it's a little bit significant, and it will help us as we talk about them. Look at, let's read verse 35 there again. John the Baptist stood with two, two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he basically pointed and said, Look, he's the guy. And this is actually a repeat of what John has said earlier. And this is a repeat of what John has been saying. He's been saying, look, the Messiah is coming. And so when the actual Messiah came along, he said to his disciples, there he is. And verse 37 records their response. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now that tells me also something about these two disciples is they were not john's disciples they were god's disciples we we hear about some of john's disciples later on and what i mean by that is there were some people that we read about in the book of acts who were still respecting john as a prophet and thinking he was something and following his teaching and not following the teaching of christ apparently they'd become isolated somewhat and they're still following john they didn't hear about jesus yet these two folks here were following God under the teaching of John as a prophet, and when John pointed them to the real person they should have faith in, Jesus Christ, they immediately started to follow him. Now, who are these two disciples? Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak followed him and followed Jesus was Andrew. Who's the other one? Unnamed. Unnamed. You know why he's unnamed? Because the apostle John, who wrote this gospel, never uses his own name of himself in the whole book. He always calls himself, when he, when he does refer to himself later, he'll call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I talked about this in my Sunday school class this morning, and I said it's entirely possible that John was the 
first disciple. But he's not going to say that about himself. Because when he's actually writing this, he's an old man, and he's thinking back and writing down all of these events, and he's far too godly to say, I was the first disciple of Jesus. He won't do it. So he just says, one of the two was Andrew. You figure out who the other one was. Well, it was John. So what we have here in this text is we have the story of how John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel became followers of Christ. That is, they came to believe in him. This is their call to salvation. This is them becoming disciples of Christ as individual believers. It's not about them becoming apostles. It's about them becoming believers. Look at the activity. As we think about how discipleship is developed, look at the activity of these first two disciples in verse 35, 38, and following. Again, the next day, John was with two of his disciples. And then look at verse 38. Jesus turned and seeing them said to them, What do you seek? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? They wanted to go listen to him teach. And verse 45 tells us something about their knowledge. Now, verse 45 is specifically spoken by Nathaniel, but I am fairly certain that they all had this understanding. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What is the activity of these first two disciples? First of all, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament. They were true believers in God up to that point. Now, they were not a believer in Jesus Christ. It wasn't possible yet. But they knew the Old Testament, which prophesied and said, look, this Messiah is coming, this Deliverer is coming. And so they knew the Old Testament. I would assume they knew it because they spent time at the synagogue, which was essentially the equivalent of church for them. They, they learned there, but they also learned from John the, Apostle, John the Baptist himself. They were followers of John the Baptist. And Nathaniel, at least, knew the Old Testament well enough to say, look, no Messiah of mine is coming out of Nazareth. Now, why would he say that? Because the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. That's right. He knew the prophecy well enough to know he's got to be born in Bethlehem. So when Philip came and said, hey, we found the Messiah, and uh, he said, huh? But he also was enough of a follower of God to say, I will go and check it out. He wasn't so arrogant in his knowledge. The third thing that was in their activity was this. They spent time with Jesus. Once John pointed them to Christ, in verse 38 and 39, that says that they went and spent time with him. They went and spent time with him. They checked him out personally. And I suspect their experience was something like that of the two disciples. Uh, the, uh, they were followers of Christ, but they hadn't fully understood. And after the death, burial, and resurrection, they went and spent time with Jesus. They didn't know it. He, he actually kind of kept them from seeing who he was, but he taught them. Listen to this. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. If you have not yet believed in Christ as your Savior, 
could I challenge you to do something? And that is to check Christ out in person. What do I mean by that? You would be surprised, maybe you wouldn't, at how many people are God-haters, Christ-haters, Christ-rejectors who have never even opened his book. That's akin, that's akin to saying, there's a mayor in Bellingham. I don't know his name, but he's a bum. Will we ever talk to him? Nope, never talk to him, but he's a bum. You ever read the newspaper about any of the, uh, the actions that he's led the city council to take? Nope, but he's a bum. How do you know he's a bum? My neighbor says he's a bum. That's not very far from reality, is it? Because that's how closed-minded and judgmental and arrogant we can be. If you're going to hate Christ, be an educated hater. And the reason I would challenge you to that is very simply this. He has promised to speak through his word. He didn't promise to speak through me. I have nothing to say except this. That's why I'm teaching the Gospel of John, not Dave's Truth, chapter 1. And I would challenge you, if you are not a believer in Christ, to open the Bible. Gospel of John's a great place to start and read and see if God won't speak to you. If he doesn't, then close it up and walk away. But some of the most famous... Christian, one of the most famous Christian guys alive today was a skeptic. He was a journalist and a, and a, and a lawyer. His name was Lee Strobel. And he was an atheist. And he says, I am going to research this Jesus thing and I am going to put this to bed that it's bunk. And he researched and he researched and he checked out all the facts. And you know what Lee Strobel is today? A pastor. And he has a TV show where he talks about believing in Christ. And the reason for that is God's truth can light a fire in your heart. Now, if you're not willing to read God's word and you're not a believer, I'm calling you out right now. You're a chicken. I'm calling you out. Don't stand up and tell me about how Jesus didn't do this and Jesus didn't do that and he's not this and he's not that. If you haven't read it yourself, if you haven't checked it out yourself, you don't know. These guys were sincere seekers. I am not a sincere learner of Spanish. I'm a dabbler. I go to class and I dip my toe in the water. And I learn about one thing every week. No habla espanol. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Inglés, inglés. <laughs> yeah. Are you a sincere seeker or do you just come to class once a week? God's not going to let you into heaven because you've got brownie points for being in church. (laughs) It's about being a sincere seeker who honestly looks at the truth and then comes to a point where they make a decision of discipleship. And the decision of discipleship is two-sided. The first side is this. A disciple stops following him or herself And a disciple starts following Christ. Now, I know that goes without saying, but really throughout the New Testament, God speaks in those terms. 
he always talks about stopping something and starting something. And this is really the essence of it. Are you following yourself, your own ideas, or some other man's ideas that you have adopted and said are authoritative, or are you following Jesus Christ? Listen to Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, stop following himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Start following me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the promise of God. A disciple stops believing in the teachings of all other religions and philosophies of life and trusts only in the truths as God has revealed them in the Bible. At the new discount mall in Marysville, there's a kiosk with the followers of L. Ron Hubbard pushing Dianetics. That's the religion of Tom Cruise, in case you didn't know, and many other movie star people. They have a whole mythology about the space aliens coming and landing here. You've got these negative thoughts and positive thoughts, and you've got to get rid of your negative ones and so on. They're right there in the discount mall, and they are aggressive. There's three or four of them working there, trying. they're, they're hollering people in so they can talk to them about Dianetics. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you have to leave all other religions and philosophies of life behind and trust only in God. The word repentance in the scripture essentially means what we're talking about. Repentance is when you're going one direction or thinking in one way and you turn and go the other way. You need to repent about a whole series of things in your life. This is one of them. There is only one way. It is God's way. A disciple stops trying to earn God's favor by his own good works and allows God to make him righteous through the sacrifice of Christ. Most people who I talk to who don't know the Lord, and I say, do you know for certain that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And they say, well, I I hope so. I say, when you stand before St. Peter at the gates of heaven, if that's how it is, and he says, or stand before Jesus, excuse me, at the gate of heaven, and he says, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? And almost every single one of them says, well, I'm, I'm a decent guy. I treat my wife okay, my kids okay, and you know. And those are great things. The world will be better off with more decent guys, more decent gals. But a disciple stops trying to earn God's favor by his or her own good works and allows God to make him or her righteous through the sacrifice of Christ. What God tells us is is our righteousness cannot possibly be good enough to, to wipe away our sin. But what can wipe away our sin is the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross When we put simple faith in that, he takes that blood and and scrubs us clean. That's what the scripture says. He washes us. And then we're righteous before God. We have the righteousness of God put on us, and then we're righteous before God. A disciple stops managing his own life and gives the control of his life over to God by living according to God's word. I would call this the discipleship point that that is not only a salvation point, but a Christian life point. If you are a Christian and you want to call yourself a follower of Christ, this is the question. Are you managing your own life or is God controlling your life? And the way you know that is whether or not you're living by the word of God. If If you have put your faith in Christ and you live by anything but the wisdom of God, then you are controlling your life. You are not a disciple. You are a believer, but not a disciple. The decision of discipleship is 
pointed. The decision of discipleship is pointed. Many people feel like they've known God all their life, and that's good. But the question is, can you look at a point in your life and say, before this time, I was not a disciple. After this time, I was. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I want to go to heaven when I die. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? You know that many times, if you read the Gospels carefully, Jesus made it hard for people to get saved. I mean, why didn't he just say, well, here's what you got to do, brother. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that's God. You know the commandment. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man answered and said, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. This was a really good guy. He was really a a strong Old Testament believer. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. He loved him. What he did here was because he loved him. One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he was a rich man. Now, some of you who haven't read the scripture before are going, That don't sound right. You know, that's what the disciples said. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. That's the question you have to answer. What do you trust in? And this man was not willing to give up his possessions and trust in God. The decision of discipleship is a pointed decision. I need some help. I need three kids to help me out. Hey, come on. Come on, Ben. Come on, man. And and yes, what tell me your name? I've forgotten. Kayla, come on. I need one more. One more. Yes, come on. And what's your name, little girl? <laughs> Molly, I know. Same as my daughter. Here's what I want. Okay. 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 I want Ben and Molly to go those ways. I want you to follow them. <laughs> follow them. Okay, very good. Now, come here back. Come here back. Okay. Since you're a boy, we're going to call you Jesus. And since you're a girl, we're going to call you Satan. No. <laughs> no. We're going, to call, we're going to call you anything but Jesus. Go. Now follow one of them. Very good. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. You can be seated. Hey, folks. 
Are you a follower of Jesus or not? There's a lot of people who want to stand right here and call themselves a follower of Christ. You're either following one way or the other way. There's no middle ground. There is no fence to ride. Not to decide is to decide. And the same is true coming up to salvation or approaching salvation as it is after salvation. You are either a follower of Christ and you have fully committed yourselves to him like these disciples who when when John the Baptist said, there's the guy, they said, see you, John. And they walked and followed him and they spent time. And then the result of that, we'll see in a minute, is they said, hey, let's go get our brothers. This is the real deal. Or... You are standing still, which is Jesus walking away. And of course, he's not walking away from you, is he? Or maybe you're actually a skeptic and an atheist or an agnostic, and you're hating God, and you're just walking this way as fast as you can, because I will not walk that way. You want to give something to Jesus for Christmas? You want to honor God at Christmas? Be a Disciple, come to him in faith, and then after you come to him in faith, follow him in obedience as a Christian. What are the delights of discipleship that we see here? Look at this. Thank you, Tim. The first one is this, the acceptance of God. Look with me again at at this beginning point. Uh, Verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, I don't have time for you now. Could you make an appointment with my assistant? It's not time yet for me to admit new members to the movement. No. They said, we're seeking you. And he said, come on. You know what's going to happen when you come to the point of saying, Jesus, will you please take my sin-sick soul? Do you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, yes! (laughs) That's for you, Becky. There's a contemporary movie that has that line in it. And it's perfect! Because that's what God says. He says, yes, I've been waiting for you all your life! And he's excited. And the scripture says, the angels in heaven sing a praise song. When you come to Christ, man, what a great thing. The acceptance of God. Listen to what R.C.H. Linsky said. Great men and kings of the earth hedge themselves about with servants and ceremony so so that it is difficult to reach them and get speech with them. One must arrange an interview in advance to secure audience at all. Nothing is easier than to get an audience from the King of Kings at once. What a great thing. Jesus said this, The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And I just want to tell you today that if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior yet, when you do that, when you kneel by your bed, when you sit in your car, wherever you are, Jesus will say, yes, I am so glad to have you. 
Secondly, the second delight of discipleship is the power of God. Look at verse 41. Uh, Andrew went and found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Messiah is the Old Testament word. Christ, Old Testament Hebrew word. Christ is the New Testament Greek word. We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now right here, Jesus prophesies about Christ, if you will, and here's what I mean. We don't know, because we, we haven't known Peter. If, if we were just starting to read the Gospel of John, we wouldn't know the story yet. But later, as we follow the life of Peter... He's kind of like you and I sometimes. He's way up there spiritually. He says, Jesus, if that's you on the water, let me ask me to come to you and I'll walk on the water out to you. And Jesus says, come on. And away he goes walking. And then what happens? He realizes this is something that's not humanly possible. And when that happens, he starts to sink. He's, he's at the pinnacle and he's down in the depths. You know, he rebuked Jesus and said, you should not die on the cross. And Jesus had to rebuke the devil who was speaking through Peter. He's way up and he's way down. He is unstable. He's a passionate man, but unstable. Look what Jesus says. Your name is Simon now, but your name is going to be a rock. You are going to be the rock. This is Jesus looking at Peter in terms of what he can become, not in terms of what he is. And you know, that's how God looks at you. And that's what gets him so excited when you come to faith in Christ. He goes, man, I can really make something out of you. You can become a great man. You can become a great woman. You can become a great father. You can become a great mother. You can become a great kid. You're going to be... This or that or the other, I can make something out of you. It's the basis of, of this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, does God promise that all that's going to change instantly? No, it didn't for Peter. But it is going to change. And Peter is going to become the rock. And you can be what God has in mind for you too. The third thing about the the third delight of discipleship is the confidence of God. Look at verse 45. As soon as Philip realized that Jesus was the Messiah, look what he does. Verse 45, Jesus found Nathanael and said to him, We have found uh, him of whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip caved in and gave up and stopped. Is that what it says? No, he said, Dude, you've got to check this out. And then Nathanael comes to faith. Oh, man. Philip gained the confidence of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Why am I certain that I'm going to heaven when I die? Because the Spirit of God is in me. Not because of me. 
I don't have special faith, you know, pastor faith. My wife has pastor's wife faith. My kids, they're just devils, you know, whatever. No. We all have faith in the same God, and He does the same work in all of us. And I think a great part of that work could be summarized in the word confidence. I absolutely know where I'm going when I die. I, I know that. It's a, it's, it's, just a, it's a fact to me. By faith we understand, the Scripture says. These last couple of weeks I have spent a fair amount of time at the hospital with a family whose wife, mother was dying uh, or Initially, they didn't know if she was going to die, but she took sick with an infection, and within a day, she was in a coma, and she spent almost two weeks in the hospital, uh, barely coming out of consciousness a few times. One day, this last Sunday, she came out of consciousness enough to, to interact with the family and watch the Seahawks play football, which was one of her great loves, as well as her husband. She's only 59 years old, has uh, four grown children who are married with, with kids, and they all know the Lord, her and her husband and the kids. And uh, this last week, it came to a point where the doctor said, does she have a living will? And she did. And she said, I don't want any extraordinary measures taken to keep me alive if it's not advisable. And they had given it their best shot for about a week and a half. And so they said, it's time to, to scale this back to oxygen and pain medication, and that's it. And they continued to pray that God would heal if it would be his will, but they also continued to say, your will be done. And uh, on that day, they called me. I, I was the kid's youth pastor and you know an associate pastor to the parents. I, I think Pam was in the choir, rings a bell. It's been so long ago, I can't remember all the details. But, but they called me, and they had uh, another pastor, the pastor of the parents, and, and they they taking these measures and all the families there together. And they just had the most wonderful time of confession, of saying they were sorry for some things, of uh, extending their love and saying that they appreciated their mom for some things. They, they told funny stories. We sang hymns. We read scripture. And it was just a wonderful time of Christian fellowship. Without one single word of doubt about her or them. Nobody said, Oh, I hope mom's going to make it. Nobody said, except the doctor, and he didn't say it, but he showed it. Nobody said, I can't stand being around death and grief except the doctor who was there and was obviously uncomfortable and kind of said, well, see ya. <laughs> and we went right on with our hymn singing and praying and whatever. <sighs> absolute confidence in what God was going to do. And absolute confidence that she is with the Lord today, not wanting to come back. The confidence of God the confidence of God about life and death is an awesome blessing that God gives to his disciples. 
Think of it. This is one of those gifts you give as in, God, I want to give you something. I want to I be what you want me to be. And he turns right around and gives back to you. Well, the last one is what I've chosen to call the experience of God. Look at uh, Nathaniel, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed is whom is no deceit or no guile. He looked at him and said, This is a good man. He's a godly man. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? I mean, Jesus could have said that about anybody. Could have, you know, flattery. How do you know me? Jesus said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now the fig tree in Israel was a, was a broad, leafy kind of tree, and people would sit under it as an like, you know, they didn't have outdoor furniture, they had fig trees, and they'd sit out under the fig tree, it would be shady, and uh, it would be a place for them to sit and meditate, if you will. I, I've heard some Bible scholars describe it, that, that, that it, it hangs down to the ground, you might even have a private place to get in and do your meditative thinking, whether it's you know, thinking about work or thinking about God's word. And because he knew God's truth, no doubt part of what he thought about under that fig tree was God and trying to think some of these things through. The miracle that Jesus basically does is he says, you know what, I've never seen you before, but I could see you sitting under that fig tree when Philip went to get you. And so what does that tell Nathaniel about Jesus? It tells him he is the son of God. Only God can see things like that. Nathaniel got to be part of a miracle, if you will. Listen to John 14, one of my favorite verses in this gospel. Most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What could possibly be greater than raising somebody from the dead? Jesus did that. What could possibly be greater than healing somebody who had been sick all their life? What could possibly be greater? I'll tell you. Sharing the gospel so that somebody comes and accepts Christ and their whole eternity is changed. That's a miracle, you know. It's not something that I do, it's something God does, but he has chosen not to do it without me and you. And that is our part to share the truth with people as I have been doing here this morning. And in God's timing, perhaps somebody that's sitting here today, maybe not today, maybe next week, maybe today, will accept Christ as their Savior. And I'll get to see that, and I'll get to know I preached the Word when you came to Christ. And I'll go, yes, I'm part of God's work. How exciting is that? Is there anything better than that? I love my wife and I love my kids, but they're not as fun as that. I'm serious. Just one notch down from that in my life is the opportunity to sit with some Christian who has been totally messed up by their own sin or by somebody else's ideology and to help them know the freedom and the joy and love and peace that God wants them to know and to see them liberated and start to grow in the Lord. What an exciting thing that is. Nathaniel got just the first taste of it and listen what Jesus says or what he says to Jesus verse 49 he says rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of israel and Jesus answered to him he basically said do you think that's something that's nothing 
Because I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe I said that to you? You will see greater things than this. He says, Nathaniel, you have no idea what you're in for. And you could go through the rest of the Gospels in the book of Acts, and Nathaniel's not mentioned very much, but he's one of those 12 apostles who was there on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved and all those miracles happened. I mean, incredible, incredible stuff he got to be part of. Again, I would refer to my friends in the hospital this week. I got to be there and see their faith in action. Man, how great is that? How great is that? How great is that to know, you know, I had a little teeny part in their life 20 20 years ago, 25 years ago, a part in two of those kids' lives and a little part in the parents' life, and and a bunch of other people have invested in their lives and, and, and other pastors, and now here they are, mature in Christ and handling the death of their wife's mother. I think, how great is that? How great is it just for God to let me see it? You know, what are the odds that I'd move back here and meet some of those people again? What a great thing. We've had a couple of family events this year that got sort of co-opted about what they were supposed to be about. Good intentions, but not good thinking, led to a couple of events where the attention didn't get put on the right person. And I won't tell you who was responsible for that, but it might have been somebody standing right here on the pulpit on the platform christmas is the day on which we are supposed to celebrate the entrance of christ into the world (laughs) so something on that day ought to be about jesus right (laughs) and what i'm telling you today is if you want to really honor him if you know having a birthday party for jesus is a fine thing but what he really wants is discipleship heavenly father Make it so. Make it so in this preacher and make it so in all these people. Give Jesus a great Christmas present by making us better disciples this Christmas season. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.